The Freemasons. The name conjures images of hidden ceremonies, symbols and rings, secret handshakes and conspiracies. Originating in Scotland in the 1590s, over five million men are members of this secret fraternity. So what's the story? What's really behind the curtain? Why all the smoke and mirrors? I get some wonderful insight from Master Mason Eric Arneson. I'm Trevor Collins on this episode of Times Like Now. Hello, Eric Arneson. How are you? I am great, Trevor. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for joining me on Times Like Now. I do appreciate okay. your time. It's my pleasure. So uh, into the uh, into the esoterica, into the into the uh, Freemason Lodge. You are a past master. Mm-hmm. And you are a past master of which lodge and where? Uh, Esoterica Lodge, number 227 out of uh, Portland, Oregon. And how long were you a master there? For two years. Okay, I think I, I'd heard that that's kind of unusual, that uh, a master is usually a one-year yeah, um, there at least is an election every year, and most masters uh, serve for one year, but it does vary from lodge to lodge. Some lodges you'll find people who stay master for a few years, but usually it's just one. So yeah. on the on the popular culture, stonemasons have a, a lurid reputation. They have surrounded in in myth and and mystery and you know, what, what is that? Where does that come from? The connection to Knights Templar. Obviously there are books, there are movies, there are stories and about this. Now, masonry is officially what, 1400s? Yeah. Freemasonry itself, probably uh, the, the earliest stuff that we've really been able to trace historically probably goes back to like the 1590s in Scotland. Um, but it's connected to a much older tradition of, uh, you know, sort of tradesmen's guilds and um, stuff like that that goes back, I don't know, to probably the 11 or 1200s, maybe older. Is that um, traced to, would that be Europe or is that those trade yeah. back further? Well, I mean, the idea of trade guilds, that's very old. And we've got evidence of trade guilds in the Roman Empire, but there's no direct connection between those and Freemasonry. Freemasonry itself uh, split off from cert, uh, you know, a specific type of stonemason guild, um, you know, in the, probably the 16, middle of the 1600s. Okay. So, as I said, where does the connection or the mythos to Templar come from in your research? Well, that's a good question. And it is a little bit of a confusing one. Nobody, there's no direct connection between the Knights Templars and the Freemasons. Uh, but there was in the 1700s, a pretty big um, movement. Freemasonry as a fraternity in the 1700s really grew quickly. And when it grew into Europe, uh, in France in particular, there were Masons who got very excited about kind of like the romantic history of Freemasonry and just kind of made it up. Um, we don't have any any uh, direct historical connection to the Knights Templar, um, but we do have 
you know, for instance, sort of recreated uh, rituals that are sort of based on Templar legends and Templar myths and things of that sort. But all of those are really new. All of those are way newer than the Knights Templar. Uh, you'll find lots of conspiracy theories and pseudo history and uh, really tenuous guesswork that tries to connect Freemasonry to the Knights Templar. But I haven't seen anything that really convinces me. Well, I read a book that I'm sure you have either read or know of, two-part book, The Hiram Key. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Now, now <laughs> I, I, I know I, I get a chuckle out of it too, but it, it was kind of my, you know, I, I wanted to do some research and that's where I wound up. And, and now within this book, I learned of there is among the Masons, a uh, children's Mason group. Or, oh, yeah, or, the, the Order of de Molay. De Molay. Now, was not de Molay at one time a Templar? He was. However, de Molay was burned at the stake in like 1314 or something like that. Like, yes. You know, right. 700 years ago at least. Right. And uh, why the then? Order... So why then? I'm sorry to interrupt. So why then, if there is no direct connection, is this one of those, they made it up? Did they it is. drop the de Molay name on their kids? From they did, yeah. Like I said before... Um, Freemasonry has a Freemasonry really enjoys a lot of the sort of romantic pseudo history, legendary history stuff itself. There's a lot of that in there. And uh, the Order of Demolay itself, which is a, a youth group attached to Freemasonry for uh, young men and, and boys, um, I don't think that was started until the 1900s. Okay. But if you so, were going to if you were going to hide your fraternal organization or disguise it, isn't that a way that you might do it? <laughs> uh sure. Um I mean I don't think anybody who goes to an Order of Demolay meeting or sees what the Order of Demolay is about would think that there was a direct connection there. Um but y- yeah, I mean you can always say that like isn't that something you would do but th- we don't have evidence like we don't have a direct connection um so and that's that's sort of part of the conspiracy theory is like there's i don't i don't even remember all of them i don't usually uh, pay a lot of attention to those conspiracy theories but you know there's one that there was like a treasure ship that escaped from france and maybe landed in scotland and well yeah it, it goes back to yeah. the to the friday the 13th when templars left left uh europe and under the under the what was that was that philip was executing them uh for heresy well, he was they were being arrested arrested um, yeah. and, right but and they ran that's, off to scotland is the story yeah some of them might have but the thing is in a lot of places the uh the templars were well connected they were part of noble families um they got uh absorbed into the knights hospitaller um, or they just outright quit and joined other orders. But, um, but again, like, you know, that's, that's all speculative. And if you're going to be looking at the actual history of something, we need to have like evidence. Of course, of course. Um, I wanted to push that out there, get over that. In your experience, you have not uh, seen this. You have not experienced any of this directly or indirectly in your experience. I have encountered many Masons who are who are in love with the idea. I'll say that. But okay. I've never I've never encountered any scholarly 
works that have uh, backed it up. So in, in, uh, in the organization of this fraternal order, men only, um, there are lodges and mm-hmm. were and are involved with Esoterica Lodge. Tell me a bit about what is Esoterica Lodge specific in the, in the overall of. Okay. Um, Esoterica Lodge was founded in 2008. And it was founded with the goal of providing um, a ritual uh, experience, an excellent ritual experience and education to other Freemasons about Freemasonry. So those two things were sort of uh, sorely lacking in Oregon Freemasonry. And um, a group of, of Masons in Portland got together and decided that they wanted to change that. And what year was that? Sorry. 2008. Okay. Okay. And there are other lodges. What are some of the other lodges? Now, Shriners, the well-known Shriners, those are Masons, are they not? Yes. You have to be a, um, a Freemason in order to become a Shriner. Okay. Yeah. The Shriners, for instance, is another lodge. What maybe some of the other, uh, how many? Um, well, Freemasonry is, is huge and really um, diverse. So the the branch of Freemasonry that I am a part of, which is uh, usually sort of considered like a conservative branch of Freemasonry, uh, is the largest in the United States. Um, and we have dozens of appendant bodies, but also hundreds or thousands. Oh, there's got to be thousands, thousands of lodges uh, broken into, you know, each state sort of has its own organization, its own grand lodge, which organizes the lodges under it. Um, so in Oregon, I guess some of the other organizations, we have the Scottish Rite, the York Rite. Uh, we've got a group called the Grotto. Um, we have uh, like the Order of the Eastern Star, Rainbow Girls, um, Job's Daughters, the Order of Demolay, uh, others that I can't remember right now there's probably there's probably a dozen or so recognized in oregon um and there are more across the country you know there's there uh there was a time when uh, fraternal orders in the united states were so incredibly popular like around in the late 1800s that they just uh they bred like rabbits there were so many fraternal orders in fact there was a time when something like 25 percent of adult americans were a member of at least one fraternal order similar to the Freemasons or part of the Freemasons. Um, And because of that, there are a lot of these old fraternal orders that are sort of defunct. And there's actually a group in the United States called the, uh, God, what do they call themselves? The Grand College of Rites. And what they do is they go around and they collect rituals from all of these old orders and then just sort of like publish them in books and stuff. So is there a, uh, a strictly religious connection to Masonry? Because I have read that a, a, a quote is, um, you must recognize a supreme, a supreme being mm-hmm. or not. Because I've also heard of atheist Mason groups. Well, uh, in, my, in the branch of Freemasonry that I belong to, you are required to um, have a belief in a supreme being. However, we don't ask what that supreme being is and we uh, admit anybody of any religion or even people who are relig- who are who believe in a supreme being but don't belong to a, an established religion. 
it's really just a, a an acknowledgement of a creator of sorts sort of and it's you know uh freemasonry freemasonry teaches a set of uh morals and virtues and values um using sort of like allegorical ritual and in my branch of Freemasonry, uh, that allegory is typically based on um, stories out of the Old Testament. So it helps to at least be comfortable with that sort of stuff. If, uh, you know, if you aren't, if you, if you don't acknowledge a supreme being or have the ability to, um, you know, kind of honor and accept people of different faiths and religions, you wouldn't really get a whole lot out of Freemasonry. I see. I did run across a, 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 a quote. I was kind of impressed with this. A beautiful system of morality veiled in allegory and illustrated by symbols. Yes. Yeah, that's uh, that's one of the taglines that's used to kind of describe Freemasonry briefly. Right. Now, also involved in this mythos and symbol, handshakes, rings and and mm-hmm. hand signs now this seems more and more like well i said fraternal but fraternity you know do you mm-hmm. hang out in the basement you know do some keg stands you know is that, <laughs> <laughs> pass out rings and uh you know is that is that going on uh uh well i mean honestly that depends on the lodge you know uh and it depends on the group you're with um the american fraternal uh stuff like Greek fraternities that you, that are attached to colleges or, you know, that college students join that actually came out of Freemasonry originally. So that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So they, so if you've uh, gone through a, you know, Greek fraternity initiation, you have seen ritual that was probably inspired by Masonic ritual or might even have the same sort of like shape or form as Masonic ritual. Like an animal house in the basement. Kevin I Bacon. actually haven't, I haven't seen that movie. <laughs> really? Yeah, I know. It's a it's a oh failing God. of mine. <laughs> well, you are not connected to Kevin Bacon because there's a yeah, there's a, a, a moment that is drawn from as you are just describing candles, dark basement, shrouds of, of their faces, and Kevin Bacon being spanked. You know, that's I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Thank you, sir. May I, I can have another... neither confirm nor deny that we do that in our rituals. <laughs> I see. So Kevin uh, Bacon doesn't, doesn't show up very often, though. Um, something else: the 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 fraternity of men operating like a social club, or uh, um, what? What would you describe it? What is the the backdrop behind what is going on? I mean, I know there's education and and maybe philanthropy, or or just the management of the group. But mm-hmm. what is what, what I mean, I know I know some of what Esoterica probably does. You talk about the study and the of, of Freemasonry. But in general, what are other lodges working on or doing? That uh, varies a lot depending on the lodge. Different lodges have different focuses. Um most lodges have some sort of charitable work that they do or some sort of community service work that they do. So they'll, um, you know, support public education is a really big one. Um, the Shriners, for instance, have their children's hospitals that are pretty famous. Um, 
and every lodge will sort of uh, adopt their own thing to work on. Uh, Esoterica, and and also a lot of lodges do have a really heavy social aspect to them, right? A lot of lodges also do sort of like community meals, or they'll have a group dinner, a group meal once a month um, uh, with their meetings, and and that can be pretty important. That social aspect is pretty important, but. Um, my lodge, Esoterica in particular, we have uh, an educational program where we bring in speakers four times a year and have sort of a big thing where we have a a, a public lecture that's that's given and um, and those are pretty fun. I've I've helped organize those a lot and uh, and I'm just really proud of the work that Esoterica does in in bringing it. So you know we we get donations from people so we can bring in like speakers from out of state and. Then we also focus a lot on kind of local speakers too. Oh, excuse me. So, what are some of the? I guess what are some of the uh, things that you? I, I get. How should I say this? What level of Mason do you consider, or are you? Well, that's a good question. So, I'm a master Mason, which is a. Th- third degree Mason. And in the United States, in, in my Grand Lodge system, uh, Master Mason is sort of considered the highest rank you can get. So any other degree you get aside from that is sort of considered uh, auxiliary, I guess, but it doesn't raise your status above that of Master Mason. So I'm a Master Mason in uh, sort of like the core of Freemasonry, what we call the Blue Lodge. And then outside of that, I'm also a 32nd degree member of the Scottish Rite, and I have received uh, a number of degrees. I don't remember exactly how many in the York Rite. Um, and I've done some uh, some other stuff as well. So, but I guess, you know, I would say that I'm a Master Mason. That's sort of the thing that I'm most proud of. Uh, and in terms of rank, I you know, Ostensibly, every Master Mason is supposed to be on the level, right? We're all supposed to be sort of equal. Um, But, uh, you know, we rely on certain members more than others based on how much free time they have and how much volunteer time they can give to the organization and that sort of thing. I see. How long have you been involved? How long did it take to get to this point? Uh, I have been a Mason for 20 years. Um, I became a master Mason, uh, in my first year. So that took me about nine months, I think. Um, I joined the, joining the Scottish Rite, uh, takes a long weekend usually. Um, and then the York Rite really varies depending on where you are. I think it took me, it took me probably a year or so to get through all of the York Rite degrees that I did. What originally drew you to Freemasonry? Were you, were, was your father or grandfather involved or did you come from the outside? Um, my grandfather, one of my grandfathers was a Freemason. I never knew him super well, but uh, it was through that connection that I um, had my first encounter with Freemasonry. And I joined the Order of Demolay when I was in high school. Uh, which doesn't, which doesn't, I, I usually don't count that towards my overall Masonic experience because I, I didn't, I didn't take it very seriously. But then when I got older and I sort of, you know, there are things that, that uh, our culture sort of lacks when it comes to like the process of like 
a man growing up or a person growing up, right? We don't really have uh, rites of passage or um, rituals that sort of like mark transition into adulthood or things like that. And I guess there were, there came a time when I felt a little um, divorced from the world and not very, like I didn't really have a place in society or anything like that. And I wanted to do something that um, would allow me to give back to the community. So um, I turned to Freemasonry and I didn't really get what I was expecting, but it was still a really rewarding uh, an amazing experience and one that I continue to cherish and carry with me. Yeah. I was going to ask you why, why have you continued? What has been the draw for you personally? Well, I think that there are a few things. Uh, I can think of three things in particular that have really um, helped me stick with Freemasonry. Probably the first was it, it, or the, at least the first thing that I really noticed was that it helped me connect with people outside of my age group. You know, I, um, I don't know if we necessarily talk about it as much anymore, but you know, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot of talk about like the, um, you know, the generation gap and how like the older people didn't understand the younger people. And, uh, and, 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 you know, in reverse, the younger people didn't understand the older people. When I first joined a Masonic Lodge, I was the youngest person in the Lodge by at least a decade. And most of my friends that I made in the Lodge were, you know, 30 to 50 years older than I was. So it gave me the opportunity to really connect with people who were not like me. And that expanded a lot because another thing that happens in Freemasonry is in Lodge, we're not supposed to discuss religion and politics um, so I learned how to be friends with people who disagree with me on some really fundamental issues. So I learned how to be friends with people who had politics that were radically different than mine, who had religion that was radically different than mine, who had economic, um, well, know, economic for status how, how, and stuff. How did, how did you do that if you're not supposed to discuss it? Well, you don't discuss it in the lodge meeting, but you might still talk about it at dinner. I see. I see. Okay. You know, so, so you still, you still learn things about, about your brothers, your, your fellow Masons, you know, you're hanging out with them all the time and you're working with them on stuff all the time. So even though we avoid discussing stuff when we're in like our secret meetings, we'll still, you know, go over to each other's houses for dinner or, you know, have a pint after lodge or, you know, work on community projects together, things like that. So you get to know people who are completely different than you. And then the third thing that I really liked about Freemasonry is it provides this framework and impetus for improving yourself as an individual um, in terms of like your own uh, moral character. Um, and that's something that I've always really needed, you know, so uh, having that there to kind of uh, spur discussion and spur improvement and spur sort of like contemplation of what it means to be good and moral um, has always been has been like valuable to me through Freemasonry. So let me ask. So then, let's say from one one's test or or to another, are you as a as a entry level or a mid level? Are you studying and and being given things to study and to as you said to to grow upon or to learn upon? Uh, and and then like, like there's a test at the end of the chapter, and that's another to, uh, culmination wise. Or 
how do you go to a next level? Is that the kind of work that you do upon yourself as a person growing? It's there, there are tests. Um, it's, uh, you know, when you go through a Masonic ritual, you are, uh, required to memorize parts of it and memorize pieces of ritual. And then you're tested on that memorization before you're allowed to advance to the next level. I see. I see. But that's memorization of the traditional old, long, old ceremony. Right. But the ceremony contains all of the lessons. I see. I see. Okay. Yeah. I, I think I'm, I think I'm wrapping my head around, around that. It's working on yourself, building yourself. Correct. Yeah. And we use the, yeah. And we use the, the building as sort of a metaphor for the Okay. Individual. That's, that's what I'm, I'm starting to wrap my head around that. It seems like all of the, uh, you know, all of the connection to the myth and the mystery and the secret uh, is just, it's just good PR. Like there's really no such thing as bad publicity. It's, it's, you know, it, it, even the bad publicity is good publicity for, I mean, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe it's hard to say. Um, I think that there's a lot of really fascinating stuff going on in there in terms of the secrecy. Uh, because again, you know, we have a long history and um, some historians have sort of theorized that Freemasonry really started to take off in early 18th century England when there was no religious freedom. And the Masonic Lodge offered a place where uh, people of different religious backgrounds and economic backgrounds could meet and discuss important issues. Um so in that sense, secrecy was very important because, you know, if you, you know, in, in England, it was, it was always, always sort of waffling back and forth between it was illegal to be Protestant. It was illegal to be this sort of Christian. It was illegal to be Jewish. It was illegal to be Catholic. And so people would hide their religion. Yes, it could be deadly. Unless, yeah, it could be very deadly. Um Unless they were in the lodge and they were able to discuss under about under an oath of secrecy, uh, you know these issues with with others. Now I read um, estimated worldwide six million masons. Uh, that's a strange odd number. I would imagine it would be six million and a few more or less, but uh, six million is what I read. Yeah, it's an estimate. I suspect that the number is lower now. I think that particular estimate is probably from the nineties. And part of the reason that it's inaccurate is, uh, first of all, what it means to be a Mason is sort of uh, a nebulous thing. We have different definitions based on, you know, in different parts of the world and in different grand lodges. Um, Also, in some countries and in some jurisdictions and some areas, it's illegal to be a Freemason. So they don't necessarily publish their numbers or even their their existence. and so those sorts of things do make it difficult to count. But uh, yeah, there's a, there's a lot. There's a lot of them. I really appreciate your time, Eric. I, I really like talking to you. I uh, years ago heard uh, a story. A friend of mine told me that his father had been Mason and had given him a ring on his first trip out of his small town going to Chicago, I think. And as he was waiting at the bus station and he was, you know, had a few dollars in his pocket, a young, young man. And uh, a man finally approached him and, and said, uh, is your dad a Mason? And, and he, you know, startled. He says, uh, yes, yeah, he is. He says, well, I noticed you're wearing a ring. He says, I've been over there giving you hand signals for the last 15 minutes. And 
you didn't respond, so I imagined this was the case. Uh, can I help you out? Are you hungry? Could I buy you lunch? You know that sort. Of, <laughs> you know he recognized him from from the ring, and I thought that that mm-hmm. story stuck with me. Like that's that's intriguing. It is, yeah. There's a lot of stories uh, similar to that uh, throughout the fraternity. I've been speaking today with Eric Arneson, past master of Esoterica Lodge number two twenty seven. Go 227 in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Thank you, Eric, once again. Thank you. More episodes of Times Like Now can be heard wherever you get your podcasts. Music by the letter J, Cody Robertson. I can be reached by email, trevor at timeslikenow.com. <laughs> <laughs>